it's getting like a thousand views an hour now and it's 90 percent his work so i'm pretty damn happy about it so like the jack slack was just like one photo <laughs> like, they'll still get like a ton of views. I know. It's like, good afternoon, blah blah blah. Wait, but the Hajime no Ipo, that was all you then? He didn't have any The first one, no. Uh yeah, the first one was all mine because I legitimately did a video on the Dempsey role. Um and then like I did a video on Jack Dempsey and then I there were all these Epo comments. I knew it existed and I watched like an I'd watched the episode with the Dempsey role. Yeah. But I hadn't watched anything else. And and they as so many people were like like it was a boxing MMA channel at that point before the UFC copy, you know, righted me to shit. Um, and uh, but so many boxing fans love this anime. I'm like, well, it has to be somewhat legitimate, you yeah. know. And I watched it. And I'm like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever fucking seen in my life. I've always been aware of it. But after your episode is when I started watching it. Oh, that's awesome. I like how it's building it up. It's not like fast forwarding like. First episode, he gets into boxing. Second episode, he has his first pro fight. Yeah, and he's, he sucks at first, too. And you're learning like, oh, this is a jab. And then the next episode is going to be another move, but he doesn't learn like eight things in an episode. No, he, do he doesn't. But it takes his time, and it, you get to know the characters and really like them, too. It's good all around. That's the difference between a... Uh, oh, oops. Look at this. Amateur hour. I know, right? I don't even know what this alarm is for. Maybe it's for the podcast. It's just to fuck up your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interrupt now. But yeah, it's, it's a fantastic show. Well, that's the thing about Japanese anime or manga. They really take their time telling the story. Yeah, it could get tedious a lot of the time, from what I understand. Like, when there are you, like a thousand like, yeah. chapters. It's because it takes so long to draw. Look at Dragon Ball Z. There's like three episodes where they're not fighting. They're just talking and they're reminiscing about their training. Oh, God. Yeah, I didn't know about... um about i think it's called kai is the sped up one i didn't know about that so i started watching it with all the filler in it and was getting so ticked off especially at that blue cat thing <laughs> the one that talks in an impossibly high tone that pissed me off really bad. beerus no not beerus beerus is cool like in the first um that guy who always dies that they make fun of krillin no not krillin the, the guy who's even more owned than krillin with like the with like the um mullet the baseball yamcha yamcha yeah, he has this talking blue cat. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, that thing pissed me off so bad. Yeah, I've given up on TV at this point. I'm only reading MMA manga and, and watching like boxing or like MMA related anime. That's there about it. This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. So today we have our first return guest. It's David Christian from the Modern Martial Artist YouTube channel. Hi, David. Hello. So today we're going to talk about UFC Brooklyn, the first UFC on ESPN+. Plus. So this is part of their new deal. So we've brought David in because we want to discuss Henry Cejudo versus TJ Dillashaw for the 125 Flyweight Championship title, which might be... Um, the last the last fight of the 125 pound division we don't know yet ufc hasn't said anything either way they've hinted that they may get rid of it but uh, we needed david's expertise because as far as like resume and talent goes it doesn't get any better than this this is a real fighters super fight like for fight fans because you got henry cejudo who's the guy to beat mighty mouse for the title which hadn't been done yet he's also a former olympic gold medalist in wrestling and then you got TJ Dillashaw, who may be the best 135-pound bantamweight champion of all time, who's been just so dominant in his fights. But we also don't know how he'll handle the weight cut to 125 either, because he's going down in weight, which is what he's been insisting. He wants to go down so he could be champ champ. David, what do you think about this fight? What, what's your analysis? Well, first, it was probably one of the greatest accomplishments that any fighter has ever done ever in for Cejudo to actually beat Mighty Mouse. Um, and the more I watch that fight, the more decisively he does beat him. Uh, I mean, it's possible Mighty Mouse had, had you know, uh, Demetrius had an off night, but the more I watch it, the, the more I don't really think so. And then TJ 
doesn't really need any kind of introduction. He might be, in my opinion, the greatest pound for pound fighter right now, um, but just not had the chance to prove it yet. But he's one or two fights away from being pound per, you know, best that's ever been in his division. And uh, and then maybe a couple more insane, insane fights after that of, of being like one of the greatest of all time. I agree. I think he just hasn't had as many title defenses as a John Jones. But you look at his skill set versus John Jones or even Mighty Mouse and you're like, TJ is something special. Absolutely. He has some of the most creative strikes. But then Cejudo has some of the most creative wrestling with strikes I've ever seen. That's what makes it so interesting is it's such an interesting remix of, of styles. And I think that there's some like really good news and some really bad news um, in regards to to what TJ is looking at. Like, uh, let's assume, first of all, that he makes the weight cut as healthily as possible. He loses like a little bit of muscle, um, take, you know, like a moderate amount of muscle to where he needs to, to where he's not going to be too drained. And then he uses like just the right amount of water. And then he's able to like balloon up and be a, a much bigger fighter than Cejudo. So the good news for him is that Cejudo's used to walking through strikes to get close. He took head kicks, knees, uh, you know, punches. He took pretty much everything from Mighty Mouse. But TJ is not Mighty Mouse. I think he has four inches on him. Um, if he comes in hydrated and just naturally a lot bigger, then I don't think he's going to be able to walk through those same shots. That's not to negate Cejudo's skills because he has insanely, you know, he's insanely talented. But he is going to have to adjust, I'm thinking. Unless he has like one of the greatest chins ever, he's going to have to adjust to the naturally bigger guy. Um, but the bad news is that stylistically, I think that Cejudo uh, is a terrible matchup for Dillashaw. Yeah, Be- because it's it's more about Mighty Mouse and TJ share a pretty big similarity in their style. That's not very common. I think you guys could probably probably guess at it. What do you think it is? This yeah, the stance switching. They come in from those different angles, and uh, so Hudo has a way to negate that, which is he comes directly at you. So if you're attacking offline, you adjust your footwork, you come in at an angle, you're vulnerable for a split second while you get that punch, unless you're a uh, cruise, in which case you're so far away your punch won't do anything, but you can't get caught. But if you're Mighty Mouse or your Dillashaw, then you come in at an angle, and then you're vulnerable for a split second, and then you move off another angle. But that pretty much depends on you only being vulnerable for that split second, and then you take off at, at that in completely alternate direction. Whereas Cejudo moves directly into you, to the point where his forehead often smashes directly into his opponent's head. And you take away that distance when you're first coming in, it doesn't really matter what angle you're in anymore, because you're just that close. And then he does not let you get away. If you get away, he's controlling you as you get away so that he's not in any danger. And he's probably caught you somehow on the way in. Even if he's taken a shot himself, he's managed to, to catch you too. When you say he's controlling you, do you mean he's controlling you with his pressure? No, I mean he's controlling you from, from a clinching kind of aspect. Yeah. So what you saw repeatedly with, um, with Mighty Mouse over and over and over again is he'd come in at an angle and then Cejudo would step in and square their hips up together and then Cejudo would either um you know clinch through like underhook overhook collar tie or go directly for a takedown and and we need to talk about that in in just a little bit but once he's taken away that space even if you've managed to get your shot off he's close enough to where one hand's controlling you the other's punching you and then as you move away where you might be looking to get a shot off yourself or just exit safely He's got his hand either on your knee or controlling your head or around your waist. He's doing something to where he's not in in any danger and you're a little bit off balance. That's what I've always been curious about because I was like re-watching some of Henry's old fights, Henry Cejudo. And then I was thinking about TJ and it's like, Henry, other than that knee that he took under Mighty Mouse, he's really good at the clinch. But I, I couldn't figure out, wait, do I think TJ Dillashaw is good at the clinch? And then I can't remember... TJ being in the clinch off and meaning TJ is controlling the fight, but he doesn't really like to initiate the clinch. So I don't even know how good he is at the clinch. So that is a question mark for me. If and when Cejudo gets him in the clinch, what will that look like? Dillashaw is very good at keeping distance in the clinch. He doesn't, he pretty much negates the clinch by staying in a tight guard. 
if he gets close, he's pretty much in peekaboo. And so it's very hard when you have a tight guard like that to manipulate it aside from blocking the vision, grabbing a hand and pulling it down. So his, his hands will be there. His wrists will be there to control. It will be harder because of his tight guard to get an underhook because um, he'll keep his elbows in tight and close or uh, or to get um, overhook or collar tie um, or any of that because he'll be he'll be staying in tight. But if he's looking to pull down his guard by like, you know, Lomachenko style by like grabbing his wrist, then, then that'll be a major factor. Um, at the same time, the way he likes to stay in that tight guard will make his legs very, very vulnerable. So, David, you talked about how you think Henry is a terrible matchup for TJ because he'll go forward. Now, Henry and Cody don't have a lot of similarities, but some of the success that Cody had when he fought TJ the first time was in that first round when he always made sure to keep his lead leg out in front. And when TJ did throw a kick, he just either withdrew his lead leg or he just burst up the middle where TJ was on one leg and he's like, oh, fuck, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. And I would think that Henry would have a lot of success if he, I guess, not copied the same thing, but if he would take pieces of that puzzle and that game plan and say, okay, I might have some success if I followed some of the strategy. Where when TJ can get reckless and he throws kicks naked or without a lot of setup, I'm just going to go through the middle. Well, that's yeah, that's another aspect that really negated Mighty Mouse was um, Mighty Mouse, like Dillashaw, will kick at an angle um, and then leave at another angle. They do it a little bit differently. Like Dillashaw will be offline as he kicks, which is really good for him um, because uh, and then Mighty Mouse will kind of, like I said before, be there for a second and then leave out another way. But Cejudo, even though he ate a lot of kicks doing this, was grabbing even for leg kicks. He just bend down. That that's why um, the the position for takedowns is so much different in MMA a lot of the times than it is for just a pure wrestling match where you want your shoulders you know over your hips at all times and that kind of stuff. Except for certain instances, he'll he'll he was just reaching down and snatching at the leg, and he was successful a good deal of the time. And TJ relies so much on those leg kicks. Um, like he really doesn't have side kicks. He he has like a teep sometimes. But uh, and he's really off balance too when he throws his kicks. If you guys watch the history of Cejudo, he had more of a boxer wrestler stance at the beginning, and then he switched to a karate stance. Yeah, in his did. last few fights, where to me it looks like in his long stance, he's inviting the leg kick because he wants to grab it. I hadn't thought of that. That makes a lot of sense. When he got his like kind of calf kicked by uh, Demetrius Johnson, yeah, his foot went dead. Yeah, but he wasn't planning on that. That wasn't the part of the plan. Of course not. Yeah, you saw his intent. He was inviting that kick, and he went down to try to grab it and lift. He does that, you know, lift the leg up and try to grab the opponent's leg yeah. as it's kicking, right? Yeah. Except his foot went dead. But it looks like he's using that karate stance to invite the kicks because grabbing the low kick to the takedown seems definitely like now that's an integral part of his plan and i think he uses it as bait yeah he the kyo cushion like take the take the impact of the kick just like kind of plant down and at the same time we'll try to grab grab it that's exactly right and then like you just said uh dillashaw loves to throw naked kicks i don't think he'll be able to resist himself <laughs> no i i i think uh ludwig might might be anticipating that he's pretty smart he might know what he's trying to do but i don't know um, but that's definitely a big part of it. And then that does, uh, going back to what you said, him using that karate stance, kind of the same way GSP does, you know, more, uh, not as much with GSP, but more the, the same sideways narrow stance and then coming in for the takedown, you have to open up, but they do it in, in different ways. Um, like Cejudo really likes to go for the far leg, which is pretty interesting. So uh, if they're both an orthodox stand, I mean, every wrestler has like legs they prefer, but Cejudo will do both, which is cool. And uh, he, he prefers in two orthodox stances, he prefers the far leg, which means that whereas GSP likes to invite jabs um, and then duck underneath the jab, I notice Cejudo really likes to invite crosses. So with the karate stance, he just stays way out of the way and then forces. He was doing that with Mighty Mouse. He was forcing him to commit to um to to like a really deep cross so that he squared up his hips and then he'd attack his back leg and take him down um absolutely beautiful like way riskier in a way than what gsp is doing because he's slipping inside with his head way off angle and he like i said he takes a punch a lot of the times when he does that to reach that far leg yeah he does get hit a lot yeah henry invites that 
overextension yeah. just so that he says it's a gamble, but I'll take it if I could counter off of it. Right. And more often than not, it paid off. But every now and then he would get dinged. Yeah, I'm not sure, so sure if that's a, a good idea with TJ. It's not, but it's a strategy that he thought, you know what? I could probably take it from Mighty Mouse. So I'll. it's worth the risk. He could take the punches of pretty much everyone in that division. He's got a giant head. Yeah, I'm not. He, he really does. If you're talking about body type, he looks like he's a regular sized dude, you know, like like a mu- not even regular size, just a muscular dude on a short body frame. So he's just, you know, and the punches of these other guys he's fighting aren't going to do much. Upper weight class might be a little different. Paul, what did you think about Mighty Mouse versus Cejudo? Who did you think won? I thought Henry Cejudo won. I thought that when Mighty Mouse figured out, oh, I can use leg kicks, it was too late and he wasn't taking enough advantage of it. And Cejudo did a great job game planning ahead of time, making sure that the stance would work. He would counter off by having... Mighty Mouse overextend for periods of time. And then he would draw him in so that he could go for that inside trip. And once he took that inside trip, he didn't force a lot of energy trying to hold him down. Oh, we need to talk about we need to talk about the trips. Because because last time we were talking about a little bit about how there was like four levels to MMA that have progressed over time. And Cejudo, along with Mighty Mouse, um, not as much TJ, but but along with like uh, these other guys we were talking about is, is kind of on the fourth level. So like the first level is like, you know, old UFC, you're good at one thing. It's like a boxer versus wrestler. The se- second one is you're good. A- you're good with one thing, but you could defend against the other. So like, you know, the sprawl and brawl guys um, really good at striking and can defend the takedown. The third is you're good at both things and can chain them together, uh, which is pretty much like, you know, you could throw a cross, and then dunk underneath the return hook, and then come down for a single leg. Like, everything's together. The fourth level is you're kind of combining all the, the striking and the grappling at the same time. So that's like, uh, that's like you know, DC, um, to, where, to where, like, the hook becomes, like, you know, Randy Couture back in the day, but with everything. And uh, so the hook becomes uh, the collar tie, which leads him, you know, into the uppercut, and then transition smoothly, you know, like down into the takedown and all that kind of stuff. So I think Cejudo's like on the last level of that. What I noticed he kept doing with uh, with Mighty Mouse is he'd invite a strike or strike himself and then go for a, for a double leg. But I don't think he, w- he was even really going for a double leg. I think he was just inviting uh, Mighty Mouse to frame and try to sprawl and put his hands down low and then he'd do he'd come up and he'd just get him with a hook and then he'd block the hook but then he'd get an underhook from the hook or overhook or a collar tie and from there he'd punch and then he'd change his grip and then he'd take him down everything just built on each other so smoothly that i couldn't either he's got some of the best reflexes in in all combat sports which i think he does um or he's pre-planning these things. Like I'm going to wrap my arms around, you know, the back of your knees. So you think I'm going to try to take you down and then I'm going to transition to a strike and then I'm going to transition to a clinch and he's practicing it. And it's like, is this a a combination, a striking combination or is this chain wrestling? And it's neither. It's both of those things put together. I think against Mighty Mouse, he realized Mighty Mouse's sprawl is going to be way too fast to just catch him in a double leg. Exactly. There was a couple of times where Mighty Mouse fell for it, where he sprawled and ended up hitting his own forehead against like uh, Henry Cejudo's forehead or against his shoulder. Yeah. And then Henry like got him a couple of times with hooks because he was waiting for him to get his hands off the ground and on his way back up, hit, hit, and then clinch. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And he'll do that on a smaller level by by just um, creating a clinch or creating a takedown defense scenario. And then when the opponent defends successfully, just like he wanted him to, he knows what position his hand's going to be in. And then he catches him just like uh, DC did to uh, Steepy. At 125, the takedown game must be so different than in the higher weights where you can just do a blast double. Because I'm assuming at 125, the sprawl must be so much quicker than it is at the higher weights that maybe the double leg in a traditional sense isn't as tenable. You have to kind of chain it more. I would think I need, I need to think about that more, but I would definitely think so. I think it's definitely the wrestlers at that weight class, you're right, are definitely more scrambly. 
like the way they have more you know fluent footwork definitely they're they're able to scramble out of a takedown much much faster or even evade it just by moving that you know moving the hell out of the way unless you're one of the pettis brothers then you just get taken down <laughs> yeah pretty much i also think creatively you're much better at thinking on your feet when you're on the attack when you're looking for different openings and then you're going and going and going and then you're finding little openings like i'm going to do this and then this oh here's another one but defensively you have certain habits that you build up over time so when you feel i'm going to sprawl and then i'm going to move this way and then i'll go off center and then i've perfectly defended it if somebody does something to disrupt that natural motion you're not used to it you might think oh this usually works so even for that split second especially at the championship level even someone like mighty mouse could be wait what oh he has an overhook oh he has an underhook yeah i'll have that happen because offensively he looks brilliant when he's the guy on the attack going after you going from one strike to another to a takedown but if you reverse that and say no you have to defend a strike into a takedown into an attempt to take them into a strike oh here's a real takedown it becomes much harder when john jones is on the offensive he looks great but like in that gustamson fight in the first dc rounds when he hits the one on the back end he looks much different he looks like a different fighter He's like oh, okay i have to figure it out the truly great ones can adjust and sometimes you just have off nights and that's that's what it looked like demetrius was doing he was always on the back end and thinking okay what's henry gonna do and that's when he started kind of sifting and Henry was able to interact his game. So he thought, well, I'll take some of Mighty Mouse's shots to give him that false sense of security. Mm-hmm. And then once I'm here, then you're going to think, oh, it's going to work. And then I'm going to go in and do my game. That's exactly right. And that's um, that leads to another interesting thing, which is, which is uh, how TJ's footwork kind of differentiates from, uh, from Mighty Mouse's footwork. Because what you were saying about layering things on top of each other, Mighty Mouse will use, you know, foot feints or whatever. Uh, but he mainly just, like I said before, consistently enters from one angle that's unexpected and then leaves out another angle. Whereas Dillashaw will layer two or three foot movements on each other, on top of each other at the same time. So you're dealing with, with the same way you were talking about, um, about how that throws like a kink in your system. So, so Hudo may be used to one foot angle change, but... Dillashaw moves at times like he's skipping across a pond, a pond from like rock to rock. So like he'll do it like a he'll switch his stance, come forward at an unexpected angle. Now he's in a stance you don't expect, but he's not done yet. Now he has lateral movement and you thought he was moving outside. Now he's moving inside and now he's like turning his body and kind of and kind of pivoting off of it. Well, he does that karate triangle step where it's like left, right, left. And then you're like facing it in an angle like to the side of their face to hit them. Yeah. He does yeah. a lot of that. And in yeah. the boxing world, Roy Jones was famous for it, where he would go look one way and then another. And then when you're moving your body to face him, he's already off. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing. Dwayne Ludwig, this is his second time planning against Henry Cejudo because he was the head coach for Joseph Benavidez when Joseph Benavidez fought Henry Cejudo and he was in his corner. So this is his second time game planning for him. And so in that same way, Henry... This is his second time planning against Dwayne Ludwig because if you actually look at the way Joseph Benavidez fights now, it's pretty like the shadow. It's pretty much the shadow of TJ Dillashaw. He does that same triangle step. He does a lot of that kind of layering of footwork. He does a lot of that. He just tends to throw more punches than TJ, but they're pretty carbon copy. It ended up being that Henry Cejudo lost a split decision, but it was only because he lost the point for groin kicks in the first round, right? He got like two big groin kicks and they yeah, took a point away. So the judges would have scored it for Henry. But he seemed to be figuring out an answer to the Dwayne Ludwig plan. So I'm sure Dwayne knows that too, and he'll have to plan something differently. And Henry will assume that they know I figured this out, so they'll have to change something and Henry will have to change something. But his answer to that back then was not to bite on any of the feints. Just stand his ground and just assume that his first feint is going to be the real attack. And then he just stood his ground and then just countered him. Yeah, you see, that that's what I'm not so sure is going to work against uh, Dillashaw because of the size. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think this might be the first time in a super fight where the champion from one weight class is moving down. Because usually it's the fighter that has to move up. So DC moved up to face Stipe. 
Amanda moved up to face Cyborg. Connor moved up to face Eddie. And going back, BJ moved up to face GSP. So some people think he's going to be really drained. And if you look at the photos on social media, TJ looks like a skeleton. He does. He's going to make 125. I don't know what more he has to lose. Is he going to just, I don't know, get like wash off his tattoos or something? Like, how are you going to make 125? Well, because he's losing muscle. Did you hear when uh, he was supposed to be on Matt Sarah's podcast and he just hung up on him? No, I didn't. What? So they had an interview set up now to TJ Dillashaw's defense. I guess his people or somehow there was miscommunication and he didn't know there was going to be an interview. He just picked up the phone and he was like, what? There's an interview. Something happened. And then he's like, no, I'm busy right now. I got to go train. And Master is like, okay, I understand you're busy. Master assumed that meant, okay, maybe we can only do two questions. You got, we can only catch you for five minutes. But it was literally, no, I'm going by. And he just hung up. And later on, he apologized on social media. But I wonder if how much of that is just like, he just fucking hungry <laughs> and just yeah. pissed off. He didn't remember that he, I'm sure Master's podcast is run by the UFC. So it's run by that corporate machine. I'm sure somebody told them about that interview. I, I just wonder how much of that incident was because of the weight cut. I mean, he's got to be in hell. And uh, TJ is losing muscle, which means his body really has nothing left to give. Like near the start of the weight of the weight cut, near the start of the weight cut, his body doesn't have much left to give. Yeah, I wonder how much power he's going to be able to take down with them. Because like you just said, Paul, everybody else gained power because they're going up. There's no way he's going to be stronger than he was 135. No, I still think his size will do it for him, though. But Henry's not a small flyweight either. He's notoriously had trouble making flyweight. Yeah, but there's still a substantial height difference. Can't cut height. (laughs) Another interesting thing, and we talked about this before we got on the air, was they're both in training camps where it's being run and organized by their strength and conditioning coaches. So Dwayne Ludwig is, of course, the head coach of TJ Dillashaw. But as far as organizing when TJ does what at what time, that's all handled by that training lab. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the training lab. But it's spelled T-R-E-I-G-N, like rain. So basically, his blood, heart, everything is being monitored at all times. And they're figuring out how to train him correctly so he doesn't burn out. But Henry Cejudo, coincidentally enough, is also being managed by Neuroforce who's also got him hooked up to every every equipment and constantly monitoring his hormones, his temperature, his heart rate. It's like Rocky IV. Yeah, they're both training like Rocky IV. Uh, Drago? Yeah, <laughs> Ivan Drago style. So they're yeah. both doing that. So it'll be also a battle of like two different labs fighting each other. So hopefully TJ's guy knows what he's doing. We'll find out. <laughs> I guess we will, but I think there's something to be said about the champ of one division moving down and that hasn't been answered before so we'll see is it too much and we've seen success even in the most recent fight where michael chiesa who looked drained all the time at 155 like you mentioned Sam, he looks like a homeless guy but he moved up and then now he looks like he was training with rumble johnson he looked gigantic it's yeah. like holy shit why have you been cutting down to 155 all this time who is the guy who just cut down I can't remember. It was a recent fight. I'm blanking on it. There was a guy who cut down from like heavyweight to middleweight or something Jared crazy like Kananier. that. And he just dominated. And it was like, wow, that dude, you give him a little speed and he's really freaking good. Yeah. Cannoneer, I think he went from heavyweight to light heavyweight to middleweight. And finally found his weight. But he finally got together with the real camp because before he was training on his own, living in Alaska. I, yeah, I remember something about this. Absolutely crazy. And then he moved to Arizona to train with the lab where Ben Henderson is along with the other guys. Yeah, you need a coach. You need coaches in your life. So we were talking about footwork. What do you think about how Henry Cejudo is going to handle the different footwork of Dillashaw? Because even Mighty Mouse switches stances, but uh, TJ switches stances as part of his fainting, right? Yeah. And he also constantly shifts his weight from left to right, and he circles both directions. Keeps switching even the way he circles, which Cejudo didn't have to worry about as much with Mighty Mouse. Mighty Mouse is more about these angles that he creates yeah. and the way he enters and exits. How will Cejudo deal with that? I think he's going to try to deal with it the exact same way. Before before I say how Cejudo is going to deal with it, I, I, I think the most crucial difference besides the the extra adjustment of angle with Dillashaw is just that he keeps his weight so much lower. 
It's like he's shift, like you said, he shifts his weight from left to right, even when he's when he's uh you know switch shifting. It looks like he's just sinking down low, do like doing a Dempsey roll, you know, like go, going. So I think it's gonna be much harder for Sahudo to uh fuck with his uh his equilibrium, his balance, because he just even while he's switching stances, he stays in that low crouch. Um, but the thing with Sahudo is that in order for him to move from, like you mentioned before, that narrow stance into a wrestling position, he needs to step out super wide, which is why he likes to move inside off of people's crosses, which they've already committed because then, you know, their hips are squared for him. Uh, but he's going to, he opens up big every time he does anything. Um, that's why he likes to react off of other people. With how many feints TJ is throwing and how many times he's adjusting angles, it's going to be hard for that same exact move to work over and over and over again. And I think what's going to happen is that uh, he's going to wait for Dillashaw to throw something. He's going to move from that narrow stance into a super wide stance. And then Dillashaw is just going to uh, D'Amato shift and then just be at a different angle and and uh, he's going to be turned around. I expect that to happen once unless the fight's over like super quickly or something crazy happens like that. So you feel like they're both bad style matchups for each other? Yeah, I feel like, uh, like I said, there's good news and there's bad news. Um, I think mostly the style matchup, it would definitely go to Cejudo. I I definitely give him the edge as far as styles because he's like the the kryptonite. But um, but that's only if he could walk through the shots. That's only if that element of the game is there. If that element of the game is not there, and he's re- and he starts respecting Dillashaw's shots, then I think Dillashaw's footwork is gonna is gonna um win out i don't think he's going to be able to take him down like uh what might happen is that he starts to respect dillashaw's shots and then um and then it's you know his tactic isn't working so he's going to start shooting for takedowns and then here dillashaw's at another disadvantage because mighty mouse like even though dillashaw stays low he's not stable on his feet whereas mighty mouse carries his weight higher but he slides his feet and he's always rooted to the ground. Even if his weight's up high a lot of the time, it, his knees aren't bent. He's like very upright posture. He does slide his feet. Um, so even though Dillashaw's usually in his normal stance, less susceptible to takedowns, if he gets caught during one of those uh, one of those switches where both his feet are off the ground at the same time, or while he's doing one of those um, spinning roundhouse kicks he likes to do where he's up on his toes, then, uh, then he's getting ta- getting taken down really, really easily at that critical moment. Yeah, this is also battle of I'd say the inside trip versus the outside trip because TJ seems to favor that outside trip where oh, he yeah, could just yeah. throw that hook into it. Yeah, yeah. against Lineker, and then Cejudo famously prefers the inside trip. So it's going to be interesting to see. Well, what trip is going to be able to get off first? I'd be surprised if Dillashaw even goes for a takedown. That would be interesting. If it, maybe it's like a mind fuck. In the beginning, just be like, oh, you think you're going to you have the wrestling as a backup? Well, here's this. But uh, I don't think that would be a great idea. Even with the size difference, I, I don't think Dillashaw should try to mess with uh, with Cejudo on the ground. Let's assume Dillashaw comes down with his power. And Dillashaw is also very quick. And the thing about Henry Cejudo is in the flyweight division, he's probably one of the slowest fighters. Like everybody had a speed advantage against him. And he's still been able to overcome because he's been stronger than them. But if Dillashaw is still strong and he still has that speed, that's another thing. Can he walk through those shots? Yeah, I don't. Cejudo also, his strikes aren't that fast, but he has some of the craziest reflexes that I've ever seen. Like to an insane level. He's already, to be able to snatch a low leg kick like that, to grab onto it, means that you need to see it coming and then already like duck down and get your body there. It's so it's so absolutely so crazy his level of reactions. Well, to your point about reflex, even though he isn't a fast fighter, yeah, it does seem like there is something about him because he's also been able to overcome all these fast fighters, right? Yeah. Like against Wilson Hayes, as soon as Wilson touched his hand because he does that open palm stance now and karate stance, okay. Henry Cejudo, as soon as Wilson Hayes touched it. Henry realized that he's in range and just fired that right hand and just knocked him out. It's that championship uh, level wrestling reflexes that he's brought to, to striking now too as well. 
against, you know, uh, Sergio Pettis or even against Joseph Benavides, every time Joseph touched them, it triggered a reflex response where Henry threw three punches. Yeah. As soon as he got touched, he's like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it's like if you could go by touch as well as sight, then you've already, you've already, you know, you're way ahead of your opponent. So I guess that's the caveat. He's not super fast, but he does have really strong reflexes. Yeah. And um, and he could, he knows where you are without needing to see you very clearly. That's that that leads to another interesting point, which is his head movement. That head movement in MMA is really fascinating to me because what I'm seeing is different elements of uh, boxers, like different flavors, different styles of, of boxing head movement, and to a lesser extent, kickboxing head movement because there's not as much is being used to to set up and facilitate the correct head posture for takedowns. Which is which is absolutely fascinating because you have different styles. Like I noticed that um, Khabib uh, is very much, very much like a like a Frazier. Like he's his takedowns are the opposite of what they should be. He uses that, you know, he'll duck his head almost underneath his hips, and his shoulders will not be over his knees. He'll be far extended, and he'll weave from side to side like Frazier did, which you know you think would be a terrible idea because it's both bad for takedowns. Um, and it leaves you out there. But because he weaves side to side like that, he can avoid knee strikes really, really well by getting his head so close to you so quickly and on the outside and, get, and getting that extra reach. I don't think most people get, could get away with using, you know, Frazier head movements like that. Um, and then you have DC who comes in like uh, like Rocky Marciano in the sideways stance and he just bends over sideways um, and, and just kind of curves and swoops his head in. Uh and and you know secures like whatever the hell he wants to, um, and then you have Sahudo who reminds me his head movement very much reminds me of like Henry Armstrong or Roberto Duran, because he'll put he'll crash his head um, into your chest, often resulting in like a headbutt or place it on either shoulder, and then he'll use head movement while his head is still touching your body, and he'll use that to and he'll you know it's in wrestling that's a normal thing. The difference is that he uh, he does it from regular head movement. So like he'll slip a punch and then come in underneath and then slide off your chest and then and then he can either take you down and bring his head right to your hip or he could pop up for a second and then pop you in the jaw and then go right back down to it. It's a whole interconnectivity thing. Well, in MMA, we make fun of how big Henry Cejudo's head is, but that head is why he's such a good wrestler because even in his fight against Mighty Mouse, DC talks about it, how... He's positioning Mighty Mouse for these reshoots and chain wrestling by using his own goddamn big head to just <laughs> like shove him around like a cow. And he's like, I'm going to push your hips into the right position by using my giant head. And in wrestling, he did that a lot. And so yeah. what kind of looks like a big target, once it transitions into wrestling, it becomes his advantage. Yeah, this, I mean, that's a common thing in wrestling to use your head like that to, to against your opponent. Having your head in the right place is crucial, but the way he's combining it with uh with you know just regular striking head movement is really unique he kind of uses it as an extra hand it helps yeah. him like kind of pinch things and yeah, move exactly. and shift things around it's defensive and offensive all at the same time you slip the punch and then you're right down on the hip or you're pressing against the chest and off balancing your opponent yeah you pay for it later with all those neck injuries and surgeries that you have to go through for damn sure <laughs> but right now woo, cashing that check right now because henry has that bowling ball essentially yeah we're can you hold a bowling ball for very long using just your hands without it dropping? No, it fatigues. So same thing. It's an unnatural thing for you to hold too. So when you try to defend it outside of eye pokes, it's like, uh, how do I shift this head? I also wonder if he's willing to take a lot of shots because he just ducks his head down. And it's kind of like Jack Dempsey. He's wanting you to like kind of hit and Line bounce off the, the side. Yeah. yeah. Or the top of his head and just like hurt your yeah, own hands. Exactly. And he's also like, my head is too big to completely move out of the way. So I'm just going to eat it. I'm crashing into your punches anyway, and you might hurt your own hands. You see, I don't know if that'll work with a TJ Dillashaw head kick, but I don't know if Dillashaw wants to throw that high of a kick against this guy. Well, the first almost takedown, or I guess according to DC, it was a takedown, was Mighty Mouse threw a high kick, I believe, and then Henry caught it, ate it, caught it, and yep. took him down. Yep, there you go. Yeah. Because even there, it doesn't land flush because Henry's coming into you anyway, so he's shortening that lever. Exactly. So it never lands yeah. flush. Yeah, but Dillashaw throws his round kicks like a knee. Um, he barely straightens them at all. 
It's pretty much like he doesn't really retract it at all, and then he doesn't really straighten it very much. As a matter of fact, he has a knockout. It'd be so fascinating if I forget the, the, the guy's name, but he has that triangle footwork you're talking about into a switch knee as a knockout. He fainted a takedown from the triangle and then brought up his uh, brought up his knee into the guy's skull. It's a really cinematic knockout. Is that Hennen Burrell? Wasn't it that last minute replacement guy? Yeah, he was on the card and then Hennen Burrell dropped out due to the tor- terrible weight cut. Joseph something? Joe Soto? Joe Soto. Joe Soto. Okay. Yeah, that guy. That's a, that's a crazy knockout. Yeah, I knew Hennen was involved somehow. I was like, damn it. Yeah, but he was originally slated, got dropped. But I want to see how TJ looks in the third, fourth, fifth round when that weight cut gets too much because no matter what, it's 10 more pounds than you're used to. I just don't know how he plans to go back up. If he's really lost this much muscle and muscle takes a long ass time to build again, even with steroids, muscle takes a long ass time to build. So I, yeah, I'm not sure if this is the smartest move for him, but it's sure as hell interesting to see. Hey man, just picogram by picogram, he'll build up. <laughs> you know, one of the things that makes Henry who he is and an Olympic gold medalist is that he learns at an extremely fast clip. Daniel Cormier told this great story where they said they saw a young Henry Cejudo come to Olympic training as a young guy and he wasn't ready yet. And then four years later, he came back and he was like, light years way better than he was right yeah and same thing with mma from where he started from his first fight to mighty mouse didn't he change didn't he change coaches because he looks way different in his last couple of fights like much much better in every way yeah he was with this muay thai coach who trains a lot of the uh glory kickboxers kirian something his kicks look karate now i mean he's in the karate stance but they don't look muay thai at all no, so his new striking coach is a karate-based guy. Oh, that makes sense. So he okay. fired that old guy, and that guy was the one who was helping him with Joseph Benavides, and then after that, he got this new guy. Hmm. And then he started knocking out Wilson Hayes. He beat Sergio Pettis, and then he got that uh, title fight with Mighty Mouse. But my point is, is Henry gets better so quickly, and against Mighty Mouse, I don't know if we saw his full potential, like how much better he really got, because he had that initial leg injury right at the beginning. So he had to fight a lot of that, from southpaw stance. Now, Henry started doing a little bit of southpaw switching because of the karate stance, but he mostly fights orthodox. So we don't even know his full potential yet, like how much better he got in that fight because he had to fight it with a damaged leg where he couldn't even stand correctly. Even to the end of the fight, he didn't get feeling back in his leg. So against TJ, unless that same shit happens again, he won't have to deal with that issue. Like we never got to see what Henry was really all about because his leg was injured right away. Could you imagine if Mighty Mouse had taken advantage and we'd never know he wouldn't have gone because it happened in the first couple seconds of the fight. Could you imagine if Mighty Mouse just swarmed him after his leg went down and, and then just beat him up and then the fight was stopped? We would have had to wait like another year to know how far he progressed while he worked his way back up. Right after the fight, even though there was clamors of an immediate rematch and Henry seemed open to it, despite the fact that TJ called him out, yeah. Mighty Mouse just left the promotion. Yeah, he's just, I, think, I think he was just done with the UFC at that point. I think he felt disrespected. I, I, think, I think he just wanted to move on. I can definitely see that because outside of Joseph Benavidez re-signing with the UFC as a flyweight, they've been letting a lot of flyweights go. Yeah. And TJ has openly stated the UFC is paying me a fuckload of money to drop down and kill the flyweight division. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So this might be an unwritten rule that the UFC had. Maybe they asked Amanda to move up. It's like, hey, we think you could beat Cyborg. Just take her. Why, why, do, you, why do you guys think the flyweight division is unpopular? Do you think it's really the size of the guys? Or do you think it's, it really is that they don't promote it enough? I think it's a mix of not enough promotion. They don't market it correctly. And they have a hard time building narratives and sometimes they just shoot themselves in the foot. Mm. Because if you look at someone like Stipe, how is this guy not more popular in his home state of Ohio and the Midwest? Because you have a hardworking guy who has a blue collar job as a firefighter. He should be hosting reality TV shows where he says, hey, I'm Stipe. I'm the UFC heavyweight champion. I'm also a firefighter and I'm going to profile real heroes. And he just travels the country and he just talks to different people. And my point being that for flyweights, especially when you look at a combat sport like boxing, mm-hmm. you have great guys in super light divisions. They're promoted correctly. 
and they'll recognize their skill and talent. But the UFC also never did a good job of building these fighters at the top billing of their cards. So you can't build a division when all the fighters are in the prelims or you have one champion and then you never show the rise of the contender. They just go from fight pass to undercard to maybe a main card. Like, all right, now you're headlining a title, but we're going to put you on fight pass. It's like, how are you going to build any interest in the division? Hopefully uh, ESPN deal kind of helps that a little bit. Like with all the divisions, I'm hoping that they start showing more unknown fighters. David, you mentioned earlier how Henry Cejudo is a fourth level fighter in your, you know, evolution of fighters, right? He does all the different styles of MMA all at once. Where do you categorize TJ Dillashaw? Do you feel like he's also fourth level where he's kind of doing wrestling, striking, takedowns, Muay Thai all together? I'd say he's close, but not to near the same extent, no. Because you don't see him, I mean, I guess you could say that, like you said, that that switch that switch shift to the the outside trip, it's definitely wrestling thing. But you don't really see him incorporate any even clinch work for the most times. Like he'll frame, he'll frame off his opponent's head and lead them into a kick or or you know establish distance or, or that kind of thing. You don't really see him doing that in the middle of a combination. He had that one weird fight with John Lineker where he looked like he put the whole thing together just in that fight. But otherwise, when Dominic fought TJ Dillashaw, Dominic knew that TJ likes to throw feints, but he knew none of those feints were actual takedowns. He's like, okay, that could be a real strike. That could be a real kick. But that feint for a takedown? No, that's not real. Henry, as long as he doesn't bite for any of the takedown feints, he's like, okay, I only have to worry from waist up. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Like that level change works really well for him, but he hasn't really used his wrestling too much since his first fights where he looked far more like, I don't know if he was with uh, Ludwig then, but he looked far more like a wrestler than anything. Well, that's what used to make Fedor so dangerous with his striking because his feints, you didn't know which one was going to be the wrestling takedown. But then after a while, how could be knocked down Connor? Yeah. Yeah. But then after a while, right, he stopped going for takedowns. Everybody realized, okay, I only have to worry about the strikes. That's it. Well, takedowns are hard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah Fedor also had that devastating instead of a jab to a double leg he would throw straight into a clinch and that's when you were fucked yeah. because once he got you he had that sambo judo background I was like oh fuck this is way stronger than I thought because you could prepare by getting other great wrestlers or judokas but to have somebody with that grip strength as well as they can hit you from that position like oh I'm not used to that but my point is, is I wonder if TJ, kind of like Fedor, just fell in love with knocking people out. Yeah, I mean, it's been working for him really, really, really ridiculously well. Um, I imagine he's going to be drilling some wrestling, too. I don't think he should be too afraid to wrestle. That might be like that's where everyone fails with Khabib over and over again is they're really afraid to wrestle. Um, it's like if you're going to counter wrestling, most of the time you need to use wrestling and then set up a strike off of, off of the break. Uh, like you could counter strikes with wrestling, but it's really hard to counter wrestling with strikes. You have only a couple moves. You have an uppercut and a knee and a couple. And, you know, these wrestlers are figuring out how to deal with that, too, from the head movement we talked about before, mostly. So it's, you know, he shouldn't be afraid to wrestle defensively, if anything. When you bring up it's hard to counter wrestling with strikes, a guy that comes to mind, not exactly, but... I see a lot of potential is Dominic Reyes in the light heavyweight division because he won't necessarily use just strikes, but he uses a lot of good footwork to stay out of trouble. Yeah. So he'll make sure that, mm, no, oh, you're, you're never going to shoot in from this position. Like, no, I could see that coming from a mile away. And he has that long uppercut, as you mentioned, but he's also never in real danger. Like, no, I'm just, I'm just a hop skip away. Now you have to start all over again. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what Connor did for a long time too. It didn't work against Khabib, um, obviously, but he never combined it with an uppercut. Chuck Liddell would a little bit. Like Chuck Liddell, he wouldn't use footwork, but he could sprawl and then throw a knockout punch, which obviously would need to be like, you know, an arm punch at that point because you're sprawling all your weights out from underneath you. But he could throw a knockout arm punch and sprawl at the same time. I think he did it with an uppercut at one point too, which is pretty damn crazy. But it's, I think it's something that needs to still be worked out if it works at all. One of the things with Dwayne Ludwig trained fighters, even when he was at Alpha Male, was Dwayne kind of has a universal style that he uses with all the fighters that he works with. Now, with TJ, him being the best expression of Dwayne's style, 
but they all tend to follow this at least one format, which is they lead the fight with feints and then they lure you to attack. And then when they lure you to attack, they still get off first. So they're fainting, 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 leading the attack. And then they're trying to make it look like, okay, take a shot at me, take a shot at me, which Cody Garbrandt did. And when he did, Dillashaw went for the hook too, but he went for it first and landed first. That's what I'm curious about with Henry Cejudo. What's going to happen there? It is the way of the intercepting fist. Exactly. <laughs> Especially with the wrestling involved, because Cody's not going to go for a takedown. So my, my question is, is when he's lowering that attack, he's expecting a strike and he's going to strike first. But what if Henry just ducks under and goes for a takedown? Yeah, that's where it's going to get interesting. Dominic Cruz caught him like that several times where he was expecting a strike from Dominic and then he took TJ down. Yeah, that's that's Cruz's go-to if he starts losing a fight in any way, shape, or form. And it's the same thing he did with Mighty Mouse. Is he'll just, you know, he gets you coming after him, and then he'll just reverse direction so quickly. And you're so used to him getting off at an angle and leaving that it, when he comes straight at you, it surprises the hell out of you. But I think Cejudo's going to be coming straight at him the whole fight. I don't think it's going to surprise him like it did with Cruz. Like I said like two factors one is that he keeps his weight pretty low way lower than mighty mouse the whole time which is better but then he he he's so up in the air hopping around all the time uh he's not really connected to the ground which is worse but i don't think he's going to be taken unawares with like he was with Cruz because i don't think he's going to be chasing him the whole time i think he's going to be expecting him to come forward tj himself will often knock himself off balance when he throws a high kick oh yeah it's it's funny to watch, except when he lands it, and then it's terrifying. But it's a it's a very high risk, high reward move. But he's so good at scrambling that um, that he could get out of most positions so quickly that it's not even an issue. It's one of the most underrated things about him because it's just not really noteworthy. Like think about how many times Cruz took him down, which was a lot, and then he normally just got right back up to his feet, which you know. And Cruz is no joke with wrestling either. So to be able to just get back up that quickly is, is pretty impressive. But I don't know if you can do that with Suhudo. We'll have to see. So ultimately, it'll be interesting how TJ deals with Henry's pressure and then Henry, how he deals with TJ's power and speed. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much what it comes down to. I don't think people are giving Suhudo as much of a chance as they should be. He's a big underdog. Yeah, I still, th- I still think Dillashaw has the best chance of winning. If Cejudo's going to win, it needs to be a perfect fight or a flash knockout that that from the weight cut. You know, like his chin's gone because he's just that weak. It needs to be one of those two things. Either either it's five rounds of perfection or it's, uh, you know, I don't see a back and forth battle, but we'll see. You never know. I actually do see a back and forth and I think Henry comes out on top. Really? Yeah, I think just I, because- I hope you're right. That would be amazing. I think for that to happen, Dillashaw would need to get rocked. I think the intangibles just favor Henry in the sense that, listen, he's... Or do you think he's going to control him on the ground? I think he's going to have moments of control on the ground. TJ is very good at scrambling up. But with that weight cut where now he has to carry Henry's weight and things that he normally would be able to just pop right out of. And he's used to 135. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Now he's like, oh, why is that a little bit harder? It's normally if you're able to strike at a certain speed and rate, Mm-hmm. But then now, instead of 14 ounce gloves, let's say you put on 20. Just even that extra six ounces, you're like, hmm, that's weird. I'm usually quicker than this. So I, oh, my shoulders are tiring. I wonder why. It's like just that, just those six ounces can make a world of difference. And 10 pounds is way heavier than six ounces. Well, like you said, this will be the first time we see somebody fighting to be champ champ where they went down in weight. All the other ones we saw, it was somebody going up in weight and they went up and looked healthier. This will yeah. be the first time we see somebody trying to do it where we know they're less healthy. So it's just a question of how much do they lose? If Henry does win and he beats TJ Dillashaw, that makes a great argument for not getting rid of the 125-pound division because it shows you how strong the 125-pound division is. Like, how do you cut a division after the guy defended against the guy coming down? Like, he just proved that he's better, quote-unquote, better than the 135 champion. There's a lot of talent in that in that division and and it's a shame they're going to cut it if they do cut it well tj said it in the lead up in the hype lead up he said if i win the championship just get rid of the division because i become the lineal champion then you don't need that division 
then, you know, if you beat me at 135, right, then you're basically proving that you're the best at 135 and 125 because I'm the title holder of both, right? But if he doesn't win it, then the lineal champion stays at 125. You didn't unify the belts. Like TJ's saying this is a belt unification. TJ also said he wants to move up one. Yeah. How do you guys think that would go? <laughs> Terrible idea. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Oh, man, Max Holloway. I would love oh, to just fantasize that it. fight. <laughs> I'd love to see it, but I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, I don't, as good as Dillashaw is, if he had maybe just one more inch and a little bit broader frame, then maybe, but it's just, uh, Holloway's already so insanely talented and he walks around like several, several pounds heavier than he is. Um, I, I don't see that working out for Dillashaw. Actually, speaking of that, he's another guy who could vie for that pound for pound greatest ever. Yeah. A cut, like he, He's taken out Aldo twice, and Aldo is, is might be the, the greatest in that weight class. Um, like, hands down. It's between him and Connor, probably, I'd say. But Connor didn't defend, so you don't know. But he did move up a weight class and just smoke the guy. <laughs> so, But Holloway's putting in an argument. I'd like to see... The fight I'd like to see right now is Connor versus Holloway. I'd like to see how much better he's gotten. Who do you favor in that fight? Connor versus Holloway. You see, that's why I want to see the fight. I have no idea. I don't know if Connor's skill level has has dropped off through inactivity. Um, I think the boxing training he did, he did, if you even want to call it that, really fucked up the mechanics of his punch. I think he's throwing the punch somewhere between the unorthodox, effective way that he used to throw it uh, and the boxing way, and it's something in between that doesn't work for anything. I think a lot of his power is gone. Um, and I don't think anyone's recognized that or told him like, look, remember when you used to like pivot over your lead foot, like you were throwing a roundhouse kick and put your leg way high in the air. That's why you had all that extra reach and power. Like go back to, the, <laughs> go back to that shit or learn how to throw a, a regular cross, but throw it correctly. Like dip your knee. Don't straighten your leg when you throw a cross. What the fuck are you doing? So I, I don't know. I think Connor's gotten worse and I think, uh, Holloway's gotten infinitely better. Well, speaking of big names like Connor, the other big fight that actually isn't coming up but has already happened was Floyd Mayweather versus Tenshin Nasukawa. Oh, God. And it was... It was the fakest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. And it hurts my head that people think it's real. And don't get me wrong, in a boxing match, Floyd could actually... absolutely I think he would maybe even destroy Tenshin faster in a real boxing match. But it wouldn't look like that. It looked real. I don't know. I don't... Let me hear what you guys think about it first. What do you think, Paul? Because Paul doesn't think it's fake. Really? All right. So let's set this up. It's not so much I don't think it's fake, but I think after Tenjin got hit with the couple, he's just like, fuck this, I'm out. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, I just need to get out of here as quickly as possible and just kind of save face. I think that's what might have happened. Well, the argument is why would they? And the why, I have no idea if it's real or not. That's something we can never find out. And the whole thing about why would they do it? I also don't know. That is true. I don't know why they would do it. But what is also true is it does look fake. That yeah, is also true. Both is true. Both is true. I don't know why they would do it. And it also looks very fake. I don't know why they would do it. But I can tell you they did it. It's what I've been, te- <laughs> it's what I've been telling people. It wasn't even a real exhibition boxing match. In the U.S., exhibition boxing matches have certain rules that you have to abide by no they told everyone it was an exhibition and then floyd acted like a goddamn evil maniacal genius from a movie and then people don't get us all theater and it hurts my head but in japan exhibition means pro wrestling match yeah like it just means like no they all know it's fake they all knew it's fake if you want to know why they did it it's because they knew it was a a freaking show is what i think it's only in america they're like floyd's so good it's like, no, he really is that good. I'm not arguing that he could knock him out even faster than that and probably would have knocked him out even faster than that. Uh, but but it just wasn't real. And you could tell, like, the funniest thing is when I saw it from an alternate angle because it's hard to explain to people who haven't been punched really hard before, who haven't felt it, or don't spend, like, hours of their lives watching people get punched in the face in slow motion why it was fake you'd just be like oh it looks wrong the mechanics the physics it was weird um but from an alternate angle the first knockdown he falls down because floyd position like knocks his rear foot out with his front foot 
and then lifts his lead leg up with his knee. Basically, he's crowding him coming in because he knows he can't get hurt or hit because it's an exhibition. So the punch that everyone thought landed doesn't land. He gets knocked down by a trip. He took like a very light punch with the bottom of the glove, which if people don't know the bottom of the glove, because people don't seem to know that. The bottom of a boxing glove, if you just hit the glove part, will not do shit to you. It's not made out of brick. It's light and fluffy. So it and it skimmed across the top of his head. So that does nothing. So and that happened a second before. Tension's like defending. He's readjusting his guard. He's clear-eyed. There's no change in his posture. And he's stepping back. And then Floyd shoves his foot in and he's tripped. And then the punch misses. Um it hits him as he's going down and brushes his elbow lightly. So that's all that's all fine. Except the tension then acts like he just took a punch. He swims his arm, he stumbles up, and then as soon as he's up, he's immediately clear-eyed and stable on his feet again. But he's he's acting like he took a hard shot because I think he thinks something he thought that something landed. Was that the one where he actually rolled around on the ground? Or was that yeah, later? That was yeah, that was the first one. Did his head hit the back of the canvas That's at all? That's what I or? checked. No. No, didn't? No, uh, he made sure he, he braced for his fall. Yeah. So that was it for me. I'm like, once I saw that one, I'm like, okay, he's acting like he just got hit really hard and he didn't get hit. So. I think some YouTuber who was trying to argue the other side is like, no, 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 no. Where people are like, they're saying it's fake, but what really happened was the glove grazed his brainstem, which discombobulated. equilibrium so many times I thought it was going to become a meme. You see, when you get hit in the back of the head like that, it, it fucks with your equilibrium. No, it doesn't. He's used to taking roundhouse kicks to the head. This was a very light. It wasn't the back of the head. It was the brainstem. That was yeah. the video. It wasn't brainstem. even the right spot for that to happen. It wasn't the temple and it wasn't right here. It was right here. One of the nicest possible places you could That's ever get That's the second brainstem. It's on the side <laughs> of your head. There's one that goes front to back and one goes side to side. You don't know that? Jesus, I could de- I could definitely see your argument that he didn't like the power and decided to just give into that, too. I don't know if he got hit before that, but that would definitely make sense. But I know that that was that was him acting in the in the first one. So I'm not going to go as far as David and say for sure it was fake. But here's what I do know. Oh, I'm 100 percent sure. And I'm, I'm doubling down. <laughs> OK, so here's what I do know. And uh, I think Chel Sonnen talked about this on his podcast and some other people confirmed that they kept saying that. Floyd Mayweather wasn't at the stadium when he was there. So he, really? he, they built up this anticipation that this fight might not happen, even though Floyd was there. But they're like, we don't know where Floyd is, but he was in the locker room. And then they had him come <laughs> out, right? And it was like this big entrance and all this stuff. Now, the other thing about why would they do this? I have no idea why would they would do this. I'm not even saying they did do this. But what I will say is it did look fake. And what I do know about Japanese culture Purely coming from all my reading of manga and watching anime and watching Japanese pro wrestling, why they might have their baby face lose is because when you have your main character lose so badly in Japan, they have this kind of like you go as low as you can. And then it's that redemption story of building back up like in the first season of a manga or anime. Or you, you saw this in pro wrestling where they'll have their star just like lose and get this demolished like a squash match. Yeah. Then everybody's like wants to know, like, is he going to come back? Will he ever look good? Like everybody is going to watch Tension's next match because they want to know, is he a piece of shit like he looked like that? Or is he not? Or has he gotten better? They've made a lot of money off of this. Because also the gonzoness of it makes everybody like look it up. No one knew who Tension was, except a very select amount of people. So it's a weird way to build up hype and interest. And it's something that you see in Japanese pro wrestling. So that might be why they would do that over there, because it does get people Googling and looking you up, whatever, because it's so bizarre. Even Ryzen's regular matches, which are I think are mostly real, uh, there's a couple submissions that have been used there that have never worked anywhere else in the history of ever and look pretty suspicious. It's like a common, you know, it's run by by their version of the mafia. It's a very common thing for them to throw fights on purpose. Here too, you know, boxers do it here all the time in real fights. But my my issue is that it, I don't think they even thought it was a real fight. You know, I don't think it was billed as a real fight. I don't think it was supposed to be a real fight. I think it was supposed to be assumed by everyone that it was fake. I think Luke Thomas mentioned it, but he wants to see more of these because this is the <laughs> only way you're going to get Floyd to be aggressive. 
when he faces uh, kickboxers and MMA fighters under his rules, then you'd be like, fuck it, I'll open up. I'll go forward. I don't care. I'm not going to get hurt. Why would Floyd win? They had him in WWE fight the big show and he won there. You there know? you go. Floyd is ridiculously cautious. He didn't even go after McGregor until he knew he was insanely exhausted. That's when he switched. And according to Floyd, it, you know, it took a lot longer than he thought for McGregor to get tired. Like he was expecting him to be exhausted way before that. But even then, he still waited and waited before he started going forward, even though he probably could have dealt with them a little faster than he did. Actually, let's talk about something serious here, which is in MMA now, there's a lot of switch stance fighters and also a lot of southpaws, right? And Floyd is an orthodox fighter. And the way he's dealt with southpaws is he just puts up his high guard and marches him down. And I haven't seen that a lot in MMA other than like Justin Gaethje, who he just does that to everybody. He doesn't do it just against southpaws. But what do you think that as a tactic in MMA? Actually, the Diaz brothers do that. They don't do it right off the bat. But like Nate realized, oh, I could just do this against Connor. And and it worked. Well, Philly Schultz usually sucks in an open stance where one person has like the right foot forward and one person has the left foot forward. There are, uh, you know, except, uh, exceptions, obviously, but it, certain parts of you are vulnerable. Like the, you know, you generally want a shoulder roll off the cross, but if the hand's already close and it doesn't matter much anyways, then it's kind of a useless tactic there. Um, but what Floyd does that you mentioned that that is true is he, he goes right forward into it. So he closes the gap. He turns it into an uh he turns it into a closed stance by squaring up his hips. So like um And he's no longer in the shell. He holds the high guard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The high guard works much better. And then what he'll do is he'll punch and then he'll take his right leg, like his opponent's right leg is forward and his left leg is back. Floyd will punch and take his right leg and put it as close as he can to their left leg. And now they're in um and then he'll clinch. And now that's negated. So do I think Cejudo would be able to to work that well? But yes, because he he that's what he did against Mighty Mouse and it worked beautifully. So, but the difference is he's doing that with the addition of being able to use wrestling from there. So that that's a lot of things to think about as far as fighting goes. <laughs> so thank you, David, for coming on the show. Where can people find you if they don't remember? Uh, Modern Martial Artist YouTube channel. Uh, Iman Rashid has... Um, Volshri, uh, I think it's V O L S H R Y, um, and he's uh, if you're into like anime or uh, just martial arts tricking or anything like that, um, he just put out a video on my channel too, uh, and it's uh, it's all of the anime that uh, that use real fight techniques. So that's something cool to check out. I normally do more serious like um, you know technique based stuff. And you can check out my books, uh, Footwork Wins Fights, which got to number one rank in Amazon Boxing, which I'm very happy about, um, and Power of the Pros on Amazon. And I think we're also going to get Iman on the podcast to talk about anime and that video and using real fighting in anime. So you guys can check that out, too. This is David Christian from The Modern Martial Artist. And if you liked this podcast or any of the other quality podcasts that these guys offer, then you can support them by going to patreon.com slash southpawpod. Pod as in podcast. Please give us money. Please.